0: Well if you would please turn in your bibles to John chapter 3 John chapter 3 we have made it to the third chapter of this book i know some of you were questioning if we would make it to there but we are here John chapter 3 i'm going to be i'm going to begin reading in verse 1 John chapter 3 now there was a man of the pharisees named nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For so uh, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born again he will not see or he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him how can a man be born when he was old he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born can he? Jesus said or Jesus answered truly truly I say to you unless one is born of water and of the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of God that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit do not be amazed that I say to you you must be born again the wind blows where it "...wishes and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it, it comes from and where it is going, so is anyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak that which we know and testify of that which we have seen." of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony if I told you of earthly things and you do not believe? How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as has already been sung today, we are needy people. Desperate people. Father, we cannot go a day without sinning multiple times, without without our focus changing and shifting and and our idolatrous mind running amok. Lord, we need you. We need you. We cry out for you. We want you to be our focus, our attention. And Lord, we we fail so often. We're sinful people and we we just uh, recognize that um, without the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we would not even be able to approach Your throne. We, our needs would, would not be met. But it's through the Gospel, through Your love, through Your grace in our life, that our needs can be fulfilled. Our needs can be filled. And, and that we can we can then sing praises to you we can live in forgiveness of sin we can rejoice we can we can have that newness of life and and have the vitality and joy of life and go about our way rejoicing lord we thank you we thank you for being the great god of, that you are now father as we turn our attention to your word I pray that uh, you would give clarity, you would give understanding, and that we would we would glean much that would that would help us spiritually. That that our lives would be changed as a result of this message. In some way, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, this is a a meeting of Nicodemus and Christ. This is probably a text that you've heard before. You definitely know John 3, verse 16. This is familiar to you. Um, this is a this is a visit from Nicodemus to Jesus. Now, we've all had meetings, but this meeting changed Nicodemus's life. This was a, a pivotal point. It had to be. And you could probably think of times in your life that that you've had a meeting that has just changed your life. I remember one meeting, um, my first meeting with Pastor Flager when we moved back to Beckley. It was a meeting that I just did not see coming. I just didn't think about me even, you know, being in the pulpit at Daniel's Bible Church. And it was a blessing. It was a meeting that changed my life. Another meeting was, was when um, I met uh, Ralph Drawlinger, who was the president of Capital Ministries, and I heard what he was saying. Boy, that meeting just stirred me and changed my life. For eight years, I was with Capital Ministries. Another meeting was just when I went out to the Shepherds' Conference. I actually went out, we went out to meet some friends that were living in California. We went to the Shepherds' Conference, and boy, even that meeting was just a pivotal time. It changed our life. But the most significant meeting, really, that I've had in my life was when I met my wife. It was back in 1988. And I was flying back from Spain. I had been able, to, as a missionary, to spend 10 weeks in Barcelona. And it was just a privilege. I was by myself. And and I was just feeling, you know, Lord, thank you for just such a good visit. And I began to think, um, you know, I've accomplished, you know, something in my life. This is what I wanted to do. And and I, the Lord was uh, had led. And I was able to do that. And I, I thought... Carl, you're twenty-four years old. It's it's time to think about marriage. You know? You know, you're not getting any younger, you know, you want kids, and you know, you start thinking about these things and just by myself. And so I get out my pad and pencil and I begin to list names. Think of, well, who can I marry? (laughs) I know. You laugh, you laugh. And I and I just I just began to think about that. I was I was serious and um, really <laughs> only one name came to mind, honestly. And and I wrote that name down and it was Ruthie Reinhardt. Now I, I we were just acquaintances. I really didn't know her very well. I knew of her family and they were there was a connection there to Appalachia Bible College. This is when I was a college student, and I really didn't know where she didn't attend Appalachian Bible College, I wasn't sure where she attended. And, um, um, so I thought, well, um, you know, I, I, I want to pursue her. I want to find out where she's at and I want to pursue her. And, uh, my only connection though to her was Appalachian Bible College. And, uh, when I got home, I, I found that I didn't have the funds to, to go back to college. And my father had passed away just, uh, recently. And, um, uh, and I spent a semester out. I spent, the Lord gave me an opportunity to work in an engineering firm. And I spent some time with my mom, just a whole year there. And the Lord had just blessed in that way. And I was able to save up some money and go back to school later. But during that year, I was away from my connection to my pursuit, my heart's pursuit. So it was about Christmas time. And Appalachian Bible College always does a, a winter retreat, right? And um, they will take the kids uh, to uh, out here to winter place and let them ski or snowboard or, or whatever. And I thought, man, if I could just go back to that retreat, if I can go and attend that retreat, then I'll, I can just get a glimpse of Verithi from across the room maybe or something like that, you know. And so, so I did. I, I called my friend up. It was Tim Polly, actually, at the time. Some of you know him. And I said, uh, Tim, I said, can, can I work? And he said, yeah, I can squeeze you in. We another counselor. And uh, so I was able to do that. I drove on campus. I, I got off of work early a little bit and drove on campus. And I would missed lunch uh, or dinner already. And uh, the conference had already started. I pulled into the parking lot, parked my truck, and I go into the main hall, Pipkin Hall, And uh, in the hall, at the other end of the hall, guess who came out of the uh, cafeteria door? Ruthie Reinhardt. That was amazing. It was amazing. God had orchestrated this moment. And um, I saw her coming down and... She was excited to see me. I was excited to see her. She had been in Europe. And we spent that weekend just getting to know one another and and, uh, sharing with one another. And the Lord had just orchestrated that moment. That weekend, that visit changed my life. Now, to make things a little complicated, she announced that she was dating somebody else at that time. That was a, a mere detail that just needed to be taken care of. Small detail. That's right. Small detail. This meeting changed Nicodemus' life. I don't think he expected it. I don't think he was anticipating. I'm going to go and I'm going to get my life changed with this man. I really don't think so. I think he had a, another agenda. And um, and actually, John gives us this account about Nicodemus for a couple reasons. And I want you to go back and look at chapter two, verse twenty three, twenty four. Because I want you to get the flow of thought here. I think that this is important. Verse twenty four. Let me pick this up in chapter two. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. Now remember, last week we kind of dealt with this. It was Jesus knew the heart of men. He knew what was going on inside them. He could. He could. They were just like an open book to him. And verse twenty five, he, he reiterates the same thing. And. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. And then, so John is going to give us an example of Jesus' ability to look into the heart of man. I believe that's one reason that John puts this account into uh, into his gospel. Because he wants to show you Christ's deity and his ability to uh, see into the heart of man. But there's another element here Remember, this context is those who were believing in the end of verse 23. Look back at this. Jesus was at the Passover, and many were believing in His name, observing His signs, which He was doing. But He wasn't entrusting Himself to them. So this was a superficial or a humanistic, an artificial belief. They were observing His signs. And they were. It was. It was just superficial. Yeah, yeah. Oh boy, that's great. Show us another one. And uh, so it was superficial. And I believe again, John is giving us this account because here's here's a man with superficial uh, belief, a shallow understanding here, uh, no real commitment. He might he might it might look like it. In fact, you got to ask the question: Why didn't the Jewish Religious leaders just embrace Jesus, and John's getting ready to answer that question for us. One other thing, though, you need to know about this passage before we get into this is that at first read, when you when you first begin to read this thing, you you think that Jesus is being really hard on Nicodemus, Um, and, and you think, well, this is just a casual, nice conversation. But man, it's really not. Jesus is brutal. What's going on? He is demonstrating. He knows Nicodemus' heart. When Nicodemus comes to the front door, he knows what's going on. And Christ just attack. It's it's harsh. This is a harsh meeting on Nicodemus. And so based upon Jesus' reaction, um, we can see that Nicodemus' motives probably weren't too pure. And Nicodemus had to be hit with the truth. We'll see that. Here's here's the main point, though. Here's what I want you to see. The point. Christ knows the heart of men and can expose their superficial faith and lead them to the truth. That's exactly what Christ is doing. This is what John wants you to know. That Christ knows your heart and He can move you, move you, expose that superficial faith and move you to the truth. That's the kind of Christ He is. That's the kind of God He is. He knows your heart. And here's the question. We're just going to kind of look at this question. What does superficial faith look like? Now, I understand that this passage is talking about the new birth. And next week, we will look at that. We will glean the, the, the doctrine that's here, that the teaching of Christ that's here concerning the new birth. But right now, I want us to focus just on Nicodemus and hit from his perspective of this meeting, kind of like, almost like a character study. But again, I think it illustrates John's point that Jesus knows the heart and He can move people from superficial faith to the truth and the and the illustration is a man who is a pharisee let's look at verse 1 there was a man of the pharisees named nicodemus a ruler of the jews now let's just stop right there john is giving us a lot of information about nicodemus in those small little statements things that uh, things that He wants us to know things that are important. The name Nicodemus, it was a common name, but it means victor over the people. Now, that might give you a little bit inside of his attitude, but maybe not. Uh, It was just a name. It was a common name. But he was a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees, they were among the common people. They were actually middle class. They weren't like the Sadducees, who were the elite, the wealthy spiritual leaders they were the Pharisees. They, they really were just the, the common folk. And they had the, the blessing of the common people. They, the common person liked the Pharisees. They were, they were welcomed in that society. At the time of uh, Herod the Great, there were 6,000 Pharisees, though. There's a lot of them. Uh, this was just a little bit before Christ's time period and probably about the same number when Christ was born and, and during this time. But they had a zeal for the law, for the Old Testament. And they knew that if Israel was going to remain a nation, they had to stick with this law. But it was that zeal for the law that caused them to, to move into ritualistic and uh, external things as opposed to... And that those things were replaced. They replaced the true religion for uh, superficial Behavior. Now they were the dominant influence, a a spiritual influence among the Jews at this time, and uh, by the second century, actually all of their um, all of their teachings were was written down. And it's written down in the the Mishnah. You may know that. You may have heard of that today. And that would be all the oral traditions, all the rituals, all the traditions of the the Pharisees. That's primarily where that came. And to this day they have an influence. Now he was also a ruler of the Jews. This would have been um, even more specific. There was only about 71 uh, in um, in the Sanhedrin. And that would have been that would have been this smaller group. It would have been made up of priestly families, and uh, whether they're retired or currently in the in the families, or they would have been elders or scribes or maybe some Sadducees. But definitely, some of the Pharisees were in there. There was only seventy one, and this was the the governing council in Israel. Now they had power. They had power to arrest. We saw it in. The rest of Christ and the trial of Christ. And uh, they were able to put him on trial. And definitely spiritual elements. Um, they were in charge of all of these things. But they, their power was limited. And they, there was a hatred for Rome. Their power was limited by Rome. What John is telling us here is this man is important. Important. He's an important, influential man. And if you want anybody on your side, if you're just starting a ministry, boy, you want this man on your side. He is important. But, it says, verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night. Now that kind of gives us a little bit of insight, maybe into his motives, that something's not quite right here by night. It's a little shady. Well, it might just be that he was ashamed to be with Christ in public. It might be that, uh, he was, uh, it was the most convenient time for both of these busy men. Well, let's make, let's have a meeting. We'll come together at night. But I think it's a little bit more significant than that. It could be, too, that he was brokering a deal. Now, look at the number of times he uses the word teacher. And, and remember, if you look down at verse 10, He says, Jesus called Nicodemus, are you the teacher of Israel? And uh, Nicodemus may have been checking out the new competition in town. Jesus had declared his ministry. He was doing some miracles. He was beginning to teach. And so Nicodemus may have just been saying, hey, who is this guy? Um, we, We don't quite know. But based upon Christ's response, gives us some insight into his heart. And his heart was not pure. There were some things going on, just based upon Jesus' reaction, harsh reaction, that there's some things going on. I believe that this man is the perfect illustration of superficial faith. He wanted to give the sense to Jesus that, man, we're on your side, we believe you. But his faith was superficial. Now, there's two characteristics of superficial faith that I want you to see, and I believe you could see them here in this passage. Number one is their superficial faith is self oriented, it's still self oriented. Their whole orientation, their whole being is still wrapped around themselves, their abilities, their position. Look what he says. This man came to Jesus by night. He says, Rabbi, we, who is the we? that have been probably the other Pharisees. Could have been the other teachers. He says, "We know that you are from God as a teacher, and no one can do these signs except God is with him." You kind of get the sense there's some flattery going on there. Now Nicodemus, he knew the reports from from uh, about John the Baptist. Remember, it was the Pharisees that sent the the uh, Uh, those to John the Baptist and said, hey, bring us back a report. Who does this man claim he is? And what was John the Baptist doing? He says, hey, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one that you're looking for. But there is one right here that you better keep an eye on and you need to look for. I believe Nicodemus knew that. Uh, He had obviously seen the signs, the miracles that Christ was doing that was pointing to his Messiahship. But he was not pursuing Jesus as the Messiah, was he? He was a teacher, in fact, you kind of get the sense that he was a teacher among other teachers, and, and he was, Nicodemus was saying, hey, come on into our society. Fellow teacher, fellow rabbi, we'll recognize that. And uh, you kind of get that sense. There's a little bit of flattery going on there. But he was pursuing Jesus on his terms. He was defining Jesus the way he wanted to see Jesus. Now let me show you in contrast. Look back at chapter 1, verse 35. Here's some other men that called Jesus rabbi. Verse 35, chapter 1, John. Again, the next day John was standing with two of his disciples and and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. He's pointing to Christ. This is John the Baptist and he's pointing to Christ. Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Now look at their approach though. Jesus turned and saw them following and he says, What do you seek? And they said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Can we we speak with you just a little bit? You see the different approach there? No flattery going on there. Just, hey, we've been told you're the Messiah. If that's the Messiah, that's where they want to be. There's a little bit different approach there. John uh, Nicodemus's focus was still really on his self, on himself, on his ability. He was still in his sins. And he was seeing things from his perspective. He was going to fit Jesus into his little category as a teacher, another teacher among teachers. And Jesus was just going to be added to his life. But he was still going to depend upon his self effort for salvation. here's this is just the perfect picture of superficial faith. Even today we have people that attach themselves just superficially to the church or or in some superficial way they'll attach themselves but their whole self-orientation is still... Themselves. It's not Christ. It's not like the Messiah, these uh, these two uh, followers of John the Baptist that went right after Christ or went right after their Messiah. It, it was different. There's a warning here. How can we tell? Um, well, are you self-oriented? Is your world just still wrapped around self? That's the way it was with these folks. They, here's the idea today, you have good moral people, and these good moral people, as long as, as long as Jesus is going the direction I'm going, well, he can tag along. I'm going to be a good moral person anyway, so we might as well do this church thing. We might as well do this Christian thing. And that's unfortunately prevalent. And it's a superficial faith. There's no real commitment to Christ. Their whole orientation has not changed. Let me give you another one here. He's still living a lie. Superficial faith is just living a lie. That's what it is. And Jesus spent much time criticizing the Pharisees because of their hypocrisy. Now, this is not just a, a struggle over sin. I want to make that distinction. This is hypocrisy. This is living a lie. They were setting themselves up as the religious leaders of their day, and we found in this passage that they did not even know the truth. They were living a lie. It's not that they just ignored the Old Testament. They knew the Old Testament, but they they uh, twisted it. They moved into the realm of speculation, and they and they. um, developed a system of works and uh, nicodemus he was just going with the flow he was just fitting into the religion of his day and uh that's what he was that's what he was doing but what, what it produced was superficial faith it wasn't real it was living a lie superficial faith is like that it's it's like that it's not, now don't get it confused with the struggle over sin. Turn over to Romans chapter 7. I want you to see the difference. Romans chapter 7, um, verse 21. This is Paul. Paul is a mature believer, he's a mature disciple of Christ. And here's his struggle. He says, I find, verse 21, and this is kind of wrapping it up. There's a whole lot more in this passage. We're just kind of pulling it together here. He says, I find this principle that evil is present in me. The one who wants to do good. So Paul, in and of himself, his very core, the very Paul, the very, this, yeah, the essence of who he is, wants to do good. He wants to do good. Verse 22, For I, re, I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. The real Paul wants to do it. The real Paul um, is there. In fact, I want to concur with the law of God. I want to do it. That's who really Paul is. But verse twenty three. But I see a different law in the members of my in my body, my flesh. I still I still want to do things. My flesh still craves to do things, and it says waging war against the law of my mind. The real Paul and making me a prisoner. So so the real Paul is inside this body of of flesh. He says making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. So he's trying to distinguish himself from the the real Paul from his sinful self, just the the fleshly self, the cravings. Now that's not Nicodemus. Nicodemus was not just struggling over sin. He wasn't wasn't committed to Christ and struggling over sin. No, he he was living a lie. He was not even concerned about the things of the Lord. He was still concerned, uh, and his desire was still over his own interests. His desire was to be approved, essentially, by other people. He was living a lie. That's, uh, That's what happens. This superficial faith is just living a lie. You want to be approved by other people. There's no genuineness there. There's no realness there. And in the the church, it should not be. We do not just add Christ to our life. We we are not self-oriented, but we are Christ-oriented. That changes when we become a genuine believer. And we don't want to live the lie anymore. We want to do what is right. So there's a difference between just struggling over sin and uh, this superficial faith. It is real. And let's see how to handle it. Number two, how do you handle this superficial faith? What do you do with it? How, do you, how, do you, how did Jesus handle it? Verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say unto you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't want to talk about his giftedness as a teacher. He didn't want to talk about those signs that he had done or possibility of him being from God at this point. He was giving Nicodemus a hard dose of the truth, of the reality. And so how do you deal with superficial faith? You confront it with the truth. With the truth. Now this is again... Uh, Jesus is abrupt here he doesn't talk about what nicodemus wants to talk about he talks about what he what is addressing nicodemus's heart and again it exposes christ's deity here the truth is found in the word of god if we are to combat superficial faith we need to combat that with truth the truth of the word of god we need to confront it with with what God says. And that takes His Word. So what do we do? We, we, if we suspect superficial faith in our own life, we must confront that with the truth. What do we really believe? What does the Bible really say? And we look into its depths. Superficial faith must be confronted with the truth but look at the other. There's another principle here. How did, what else did Christ do? He didn't just leave it there. Nicodemus asked him a question. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Now Nicodemus knew what he was saying here. And uh, we'll, we'll look at this more next week. But Christ gives him more detail to help him out of this superficial faith. In verse 5, Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water in the Spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom of God. So he's given a little bit more detail and he quotes from the Old Testament, from uh, Ezekiel. And he gives Nicodemus a little bit more detail of the truth. And superficial faith kind of does that. They live in, in vague land. They don't know really the answers. They know some superficial answers. They know some some vague answers. But it's, it's not It's not real. And Jesus wanted him to understand these things. And he goes on. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I say to you, "You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes. He's given some detail here. And it's stuff that actually Nicodemus should know. He's quoting a lot of this is, uh, from the Old Testament. And a couple of key words there, he should have known, he should have picked up on. And then he has to attack Nicodemus because of his Ignorance. Now, how do we apply this? Here's here's what we do. We continue. So we're confronted with the word of truth. And then we continue to dig in the word of truth for answers. We cry out like the psalmist. Like the psalmist in Psalm 119. He says, Open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things from your law. That's the heart of the Christian we cry out, Lord, give me understanding. I want to know more of the spiritual truths, the spiritual realities. I want to see things from your perspective. And he goes on to say in verse 24 there, he says, Your testimonies also are my delight. That's really the heart of the Christian. That's how we combat this superficial faith. We, we get into the Word of God and we know it in detail. We come up with understanding, a proper understanding not a superficial understanding, and I believe that's where people, many, many Christians live today is this superficial understanding of of who Christ is and what the Bible says, and they know some of the stories, and yeah, I'm a Christian, and it's just superficial. You've got to go beyond that. you've got to know what the scriptures say. Let me give you one other this is one other thing here that Jesus did. Nicodemus verse 9 says to him, How can a man be, uh, uh, how can these things be? And Jesus, here's what Jesus does He sharply rebukes his sin. Superficial faith just needs to be sharply rebuked, and it needs to be rebuked the sin. You need to rebuke the sin. Jesus said to him, uh, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? The teacher, really, it's better translated, the outstanding teacher or the most prominent teacher in Israel. And that was probably a position or a title that Nicodemus held. And he was probably pretty proud of that position. And, and Jesus might have been encroaching upon his abilities. I mean, he couldn't perform many miracles. And Jesus has to confront him where he is, that pride And Jesus puts him in his place, really. You're the teacher and you don't understand these things. The most basic thing of salvation you don't understand. And you can see his pride just being crumbled. In fact, the rest of the time you don't hear anything else from Nicodemus. His sin was confronted. Listen, when you make an appointment with Christ, it's a harsh thing. It is no easy thing to be confronted by someone who knows your heart. Um, That's what the Word of God can do. That's what the Word of God does. It knows the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and it can confront the heart. I, I can't do that. But I tell you what, if I was to take Jesus as the model, you wouldn't want an appointment with me. Because I would have to, when you come in and sit down, I would have to probe a little bit to understand your heart. But once I saw your heart, and if there was sin in your heart, I would have to hit your heart. I would have to confront the heart. Sin has to be confronted, and Jesus confronted His own sin or Nicodemus's sin here. And it's and it's harsh. Um, confrontation hurts. It's it's deep within us. Sin is, and and it must be rooted out. And Jesus was getting right to the heart where Nicodemus lived, and he's pointing out his his flaws. He was not coddling Nicodemus, was he? He wasn't saying, "Boy, I'd like to have you into my ministry." Um, and he and he puts on his soft gloves. No, he hits Nicodemus and Nicodemus' head is probably spinning by this time. How can these things be? His world is turned upside down. He was, he was in a, um, he was in a religion of works. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not by that work. In fact, if you don't get it right, you're not even going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Man, it just shook Nicodemus to his very core. And then he confronts him with his sin. And you don't even know what you're talking about. And you're leading people. And I'm telling you, that is a picture of superficial faith. You see it today. You see it in so many churches. These people that have attached themselves to the church and and they, and they, um, they pretend to know something, but in reality they really don't know anything. And that leads us to the last point, and we'll quit. What's the result of superficial faith? Well, look at look at verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, we know that which we have... Um, or we speak that which we know and testify that which we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. Well, that's an indication right there. Verse 12. If I told you earthly things, and you what? Do not believe. You will not believe if I tell you heavenly things. What's the problem? You still do not believe. You're in unbelief. Superficial faith is still unbelief. It is dead faith. It is not faith at all. Or it is faith in self and not in Christ. And that will not get you to heaven. Superficial faith will not get you into heaven. You will go nowhere. Well, actually... It leads to eternal punishment. It leads to hell. That's sobering. That's sobering. At some point, though, Nicodemus got it. Quickly turn over to John chapter 19. He was, he was confronted with the truth and he was given some detail about his life and how he messed up and how his thinking was all flawed. And then he was confronted with his sin. And I believe at this point, his life began to change. And in chapter 19, Nicodemus is mentioned again in verse 39, Nicodemus, who had first come to Jesus by night or come to Him by night, also came bringing a mixture of, of myrrh and alloy, about about 100 pounds weight. What did he want? He wanted Jesus' body. This Nicodemus, something happened to his life. His life was changed as a result of this, this time with Christ, with this confrontation with Christ. Christ knew his heart and he exposed this superficial, artificial faith that he had, this shallowness, And he led Nicodemus carefully through the truth and led him to the truth. I believe that's exactly what happened. And he had to to get rid of this self-orientation and become Christ-oriented. He had to stop living this lie that he was living. And he had to live the truth. What about your life? Is your whole life still... Revolving around yourself? Is it still this superficial faith? I'll go to church when it's convenient for me? Or I'll accept this religion as long as it's going where I'm going. My kids need some good morals. Church is good for that, so I'll just I'll go to church for the kids' sake. That's just superficial. There's not it's not real. You're just living a lie. You're living a lie. Well. What do we do? (laughs) If you're living that life, there is that superficial faith, we cry out to the Lord. The Word of God can change our life. We look into it and be confronted with the truth. We we look at our own sin carefully. Let the Word of God work in our heart and our lives will be changed. That's the power of the Gospel. And we'll see that next week. When uh, When I saw Ruthie for the first time at the end of the hallway, coming down, and I, I realized I began to put things in, the, in perspective, and the Lord had orchestrated this moment, and, and the time was, was right, or at least a little bit later it was right. That, that meeting changed my life. Nicodemus, his whole life, was, his whole world was turned upside down with this one meeting with Christ. Christ. I have to ask the question, has that happened to you? Has there been an encounter with Christ in your life? Has there been that moment when you've just been hit with the truth? And you've been confronted about your sin and you say, Lord, I can't go on any longer. I'm tired of living this lie. Has that happened with you? I know I'm using some loud words But I have to penetrate this heart. I don't know your heart. I don't know your heart. But it's so important. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for your grace. What was being said here is pointing to your grace, Lord. Not our own works, but just your grace and Lord, what a magnificent thing. Lord, You and Your, and your grace can work in a heart. It's, it's, it might be harsh, Lord, confronting sin and being hard on sin, but Lord, it's for the right thing. It's for the right reasons and it, and it should change our life. Lord, help us to be genuine Christians and Lord, not be those who have superficial, shallow, humanistic faith. Like we see living out around us. Claiming to be Christians, but living however they want. Lord, help us to not live the lie that's so prevalent. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.